I want to teach you a German word this morning, but don't be too impressed. You know, I, I know like five or six German words. Most of them I got from Hogan, old Hogan's Heroes uh, reruns, you know. But there's a really important word that will help us lay hold of this series on this biblical character, Esau. And it even sounds cool to say. It's the word zeitgeist. Zeitgeist. You say, Eric, what in the world is zeitgeist? Well, it's the spirit of a generation. The spirit of any age. The tastes, the outlook, the characteristics, the common ambience of any age that is embraced. The trends, the disposition, the feeling, the, the atmosphere of any age, the nature of the day that we live in. What is the zeitgeist of our age? Now, what's important for us to recognize, and this is the Homer Simpson duh moment, of course, we live in a new day where the spirit of our age is at odds with gospel Christianity. Think of it like this. What if we were journalists sent to interview a fish? And we would ask the fish, are you wet? The fish may reply to us, what is wet? And we, we would say, oh, no, you're in the water all the time. The fish may reply to us, what is water. Because the only habitat the fish has ever known is the one that they are immersed in all the time. So they are not conscious of what they are immersed in all the time. So not only do not understand the concept of water, uh, the property of wetness being immersed in the water, why it's lost to them. We are immersed in this moment of Western culture. It's different today than it has been in the past. All the experience we've ever had is the culture that we find ourselves in. Isn't it interesting? And you say, well, hey, you know, we, we, we left Warden June Cleaver's neighborhood many, many, many years ago. It's a completely different place now. Isn't it interesting to think that Generation Z, this is the only culture they've ever known. This is their water. Immersed in this water, they've never known of any other experience. The zeitgeist of postmodern life is neutering the church. The spirit of our age is seeping down into the crevices of our soul. The church is being affected by this infiltration. Our kids are facing real challenges, some of which are brand new in nature. Have you ever heard a parent say before, why? I never taught them that. I have no idea where they got that. They got that by, as it were, osmosis. Just It's a part of the stream. And by the way, unless we are very intentional about how we nurture our children in gospel Christianity, we will just create more minnows 
that'll be caught up in the current of this stream, going headlong into where this stream takes us, which is a destructive ditch. The zeitgeist of our day is dissimilar than the way of Christ. Jesus Christ entered our world and opened up an invitation for us to live in a completely different way. But the current is strong, and it's hard to swim upstream. This zeitgeist is like walking into the lobby of a movie theater. Remember, you know, nobody's doing that anymore, and all of them are going to close. But anyway, there was a former day when you'd walk into a theater, and the farthest thing from your mind would be popcorn. Uh, You would walk in, and there the popcorn machine is blaring. Next to the 55-gallon drum of hot butter that they're just with a fire hose squirting over the bucket of popcorn. And you walk by some chap who, you know, spends $14 on that bucket of popcorn. But as you walk by, it wafts out to you. It's like suddenly rushing to the fore of your mind. You might not even like popcorn is this notion that my life will not be fulfilled unless I have popcorn. But if you have a stout will, you say, I'm not paying 14 bucks for popcorn, and you go in and sit down. But then a dear one comes and sits right next to you, carrying one of those barrels, and starts shoveling, like with the backhoe. The, 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 and every shovel is wafing out more. And you say to yourself, unless I go get a bucket of popcorn. And you've been captured by this popcorn zeitgeist wafing out everywhere. Well, who cares about popcorn? But the spirit of our age is reaching for all of our hearts. It reached for Esau's heart in his day. And what's amazing, the Canaanite trends which so beset Esau in his day are now celebrated uh, uh, in incredible ways in our own age and We face the same 10 lies that he faced, but we want to face them with the way of Christ, top of mind, and our wills bent on following him. COVID has passed just by breathing. We're we're told now that the Delta variant is even more contagious than other mutations. It comes. And so we need Esau As an example, you say, Eric, what kind of example is Esau? Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. There are two kinds of examples. There's a good example to follow, and there's a negative example to avoid. Esau is an anti-type. Esau is what not to do, but he has much to teach us he believed lies in his day that we wrestle with in our own so this morning we introduce this series on Esau Esau's fables 10 lives in our day that ruin people's lives this morning I want to go two different directions first of all I want to tell you who Esau is it's like who is Esau 
And why should I care about Esau? So first, who is Esau? And secondly, why him? How is this going to be helpful? That's our plan of attack this morning. First of all, who is Esau? Now, as you can see from the insert in the bulletin, we're going to spend some time with this life. We're going to comb through uh, the narrative of his life recorded in the scripture. So we're going to come back and meticulously go through each of these passages. May I this morning, in introducing him, simply allude to the passages that record this. Now you remember Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is, and he created us to relate to him. Then Genesis 3, Adam, our forefather, sinned against God and went off in rebellion, preferring what he felt like was going to turn out better as an autonomous life away from God. By the way, how's that working for us? And then Adam's family grew up, populated the earth until you get to Genesis 6-4 when an extraordinary thing is said of the earth and the spirit of the age that had so captured the people. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6-5. So God judged the earth preserved humanity through Noah's family, which took off and populated the world again, and gets to Genesis chapter 11, they're at it again. Trying to shake their fist at God and demonstrate that they're autonomous and all by themselves and didn't need God. Let's build a tower to God. Let's build the Tower of Babel. And God judged them and confused their languages. And you have different peoples of the earth then separated throughout the earth. And God came to Babylon to a man named Abraham, who according to Joshua 24.2 was a pagan idol worshiper. Wasn't seeking God, but God was seeking Abraham. And he put his arm around Abraham and by his grace called Abraham to himself. Get out from here, Abraham. You go to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation for that land and I will bless your people and you have in Genesis 12 the story that God was going to reveal himself to the world through Abraham and his family they were going to be a priestly nation so Abraham's the patriarch now we come to Esau Who, who's this Esau guy how does he fit Esau is the grandson of Abraham Abraham and Sarah well past childbirthing years, have Isaac. Isaac marries Rebecca, gets to 40 years old. We'll look at this passage. Has twins, Jacob and Esau. From the very time of their conception and gestation, Rebecca got the impression... <laughs> There's a storm in here. What in the world's going on? And they sought the Lord. And then a very unique birth comes. So Esau's the grandson of Abraham. And Esau was the firstborn twin given to Isaac and Rebekah. In the maternity ward, probably a tent, 
These twins are born. Isaac, Esau's dad, is 40 years old. They had gone through the pain of infertility. He prays in chapter 25 and verse 21 of the book of Genesis. We'll look at this passage in the coming weeks. God answered their prayer. By the way, infertility is a quiet, terrible pain. And God hears our prayers. And he responds according to his will. So fraternal twins are given. They're dissimilar. One has red hair and hair all over. That's Esau. He's actually born first. The ginger guy. A hairy red man. Jacob is different. Softer. In fact, one of the concerns when he went in to uh, trick Isaac into thinking he was Esau for the blessing before Isaac dies, you know, his mother has to put on the sheepskin so he feels hairy like his older brother. Interesting. Their birth is very famous because when Esau was born first, and remember the firstborn child was always given preeminence in the Jewish family. Firstborn comes out, but as he finishes birth and comes out, they look, and the hand of Jacob, his womb mate, has grasped a hold of his heel. By the way, this, uh, this week I wondered if the Greeks had somehow got the myth of Achilles uh, from the Jewish uh, history of Jacob and Esau's birth. The Messiah, of course, will emerge not out of Esau's line, but out of Jacob's line. And we'll look. It, it'd be one of the toughest truths to ingest about our sovereign Lord's choice of Jacob rather than Esau. By the way, all of us have to learn how to, and it's one of the invitations of this series, all of us have to learn how to ingest the decree of God and what he chooses for his glory and our good. So that's Esau, the grandson of Abraham, the firstborn of Isaac. That places him in the story of redemption headed for Bethlehem and headed for Golgotha and headed for the empty tomb and headed for the consummation of all things. Now, why a series on Esau? To help answer that question, come with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, two quick answers to this are that the hounds of hell, full of lies that chase Esau, chase us too. And they invite us to believe the same lies that he believed that ruined his life. The short answer is that's why we're having this series. We face these lies as well. Now the second answer, the short answer, is harder to ingest, and that is we are Esau all too often. And God is calling us away to himself. Now, Esau's heart was driven by three deep streams. Let me read these verses to you. They are identified here. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Hear the word of the Lord. Esau's problem all along was that he was not repentant of his previous action. When he had given away the farm for a bowl of French onion soup, later when Jacob steals the blessing and he realizes that Isaac's already given the blessing to Jacob, he tries to reverse the whole thing and back up, but he was not able. Remember that Esau's brought up as an illustration to the Hebrews, a group of people who have started following Jesus, embraced the promise of God by relying upon Jesus, but then they face cultural pressure. They face pushback, and some of them were saying, is this worth it? Ought we quit? Let me just quit. Let's just walk away from the faith. Let's be apostates. And in Hebrews chapter 6, he talks, it's an interesting passage, a fascinating one, much discussed, where the author of the book of Hebrews says, look, if we hang around with the people of God, profess faith in Christ, walk away from the faith, the renewal to repentance is a bridge too far. And so Esau's held up as an illustration, a bit of a warning to the people. Let's stay faithful to Christ. Let's not go down those lanes that are going to maroon us in an awful place. And we'll look through the series at some of the awful places that Esau's life took him. Well, if there's three deep streams in Esau's heart, what are they? Stream number one, Esau's heart was driven. He was bitter over what life had brought. He was bitter over what life had brought. Hey, can we be honest with each other and say that life is hard? It's difficult? This morning, we're all fighting battles. We're all concerned about things. Some of us are pretty beat up. And as we sit here this morning, we're in the middle of a war. And we're hurting. That's the nature of life in a broken world. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, whom Peter said has been given to give us all that we need for life and godliness. All the preciousness of the sufficiency of Jesus. Esau faced hard things and he got bitter. One of the fruits of bitterness is that other people are affected. Did you look at verse 14? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up. What does it do? And causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. 
two fruits of bitterness are identified here. It causes trouble, and many are defiled. Esau never did get to Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Esau could have written the verse, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander collect in my heart along with all malice, and then I'll be better off. Now, Esau, is that, is that working for you? Have you ever watched bitterness cancer dismantle somebody's heart? Have you ever watched bitterness metastasize in a person's life and affect the family? Have you ever watched bitterness ruin how people related in a family? Have you ever watched bitterness hurt a church and how a church relates? Esau felt like he was cheated. He took no responsibility for his own folly. We'll look at that. He thought that the way forward was bitterness. Bitterness is the devil's trap. It's the poison we drink thinking we're hurting our enemy. We are all proud and we think we're deserving. We are easy prey for self-pity and bitterness. Let me ask you a question this morning. What percentage of the American men this morning would you argue harbor bitterness in their heart. Bitterness toward their job. Bitterness toward their workmates. Bitterness in marriage. Bitterness in life circumstance. What about American women? What percentage would you say are bitter? Life is hard. It will bruise us up. Bitterness is a threat. And the author of the book of Hebrews, holding up Esau, is showing us it's so corrosive. It's so destructive. Bitterness will take us no place we want to go. That was one of the deep streams in this guy's heart. We'll see it. Secondly, he was immoral and he indulged in fleshly impulse. He had a particular fancy for Hittite women, one of the people groups that populated Canaan. Remember, they were all farmers. They wanted their crops to reproduce and produce a lot of fruit. So they came up with this debaucherous, religion where they would uh, have intimacy with temple prostitutes, often resulting in children that were then thrown off cliffs and sacrificed to Baal, the god, so that they could have a lot of crops. They would be fertile and demonstrate their fertility through this ungodliness, and it created havoc with the culture. You ever wonder, why did God want Canaan to be wiped out. There was no humanity left. It had all been pushed out by their debaucherous living and inhumane ways of life. The debauchery of Canaanite culture had affected him. We'll look at the passage in Genesis 26 where his penchant for Hittite women was bedeviling his mother. She mourned ahead of time where it was going to take him. It shows back up in chapter 27 and verse 46 where in disappointment he thought the way to get back at his parents was to go indulge himself some more. Chapter 28, verses 8 and 9. We'll come back to this. And yet, if you were to meet him, you would say, you know what? Esau's a good dude. And he, he was a good guy. 
Canaanite zeitgeist had just eaten him up and captured his heart. The New York Times wrote an article, uh, of all things, on the concert at Woodstock on the farm in western New York in August of 1969. And they had a fascinating line. They said, the moral imperative of Woodstock was, if it feels good, do it. That captured the spirit of Canaan. By the way, how far away from that are we in our culture? Practicing no self-discipline. Uh, esteeming very little uh, the value of self-denial. Uh, this is our age. Esau was a proto-Samson. You know, Samson ran around the Philistine women, uh, and indulged himself. He had groomed his flesh to be hyper-tuned, and so had Esau. He's called an immoral man. As a culture, we've hyper-sexualized everything. Esau is an example. In that sense, Esau is the archetypical postmodern man. If you swim in our stream, Adopt its mores and our ways. You'll come out and you'll be Esau. How different from the way of Christ. Isn't it interesting? Look across the page at Hebrews 13.4. Having held up this man as an anti-example, then he charges the people of God, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. This is chapter 13, right in just a few verses before where he's characterized one of the streams in Esau's heart as he was immoral. Now, number three, the third stream is he lived with no consideration of God in his life. He was a totally secular person. The great promises to his grandfather Abraham renewed to his father Isaac they were lost on him and got no play. He was a godless person, it is said. Now, it's a fascinating word that involves two things. A prefix, no, and then a stem. And the stem of all things is an allusion to the threshold to the temple, the door threshold of the temple. And what it says is, let me tell you what Esau's heart is like. He's a no, ah, threshold of the temple person. He's a no temple person, which means he lived his life away from the temple. Well, what does that mean? It means, what did we do at the temple? We met with God. Remember, even when they camped, the uh, tabernacle was in the center. That was for a point that the living God and our relatedness to him is to be central and at the center of how we prosecute life. But for Esau, he was a no threshold of the temple person. That wasn't a part of his life. I got a fascinating story to tell you, and then a, another fascinating follow-up to tell you. A few weeks ago, Andy and I were golfing, and we were put with a couple, a really delightful couple. And we enjoyed their company, and we met them, and we talked, and we made conversation. 
And I'm asking God, God, help me twist the conversation in, a, in an attractive way to the glory of our Savior Jesus. And so we're, we're going along and going along. And I said, hey, Bob. By the way, Bob was just a peach of a guy. Uh, full of zest and personality and a great conversationalist. I said, hey, Bob. I said, uh, how about you and your wife, Bob? Are you a part of a faith community? Do you go to church anywhere? And he looked at me, just stunned. He says, look. I don't do religion. She does. She goes to the Catholic Church. Now, we went on, and of all things, you know, the Baptist preacher. I, I invited him to a, a good Baptist service someday, you know. But it, it was a great talk, and, 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 and he was kind. And um, Now, what I didn't know is that Bob is a neighbor to a congregant. And Bob walks with the husband uh, several mornings a week. And, of course, he wanted to tell the congregant about running into the Baptist preacher playing golf. And they had a conversation about that. By the way, one of the glories of sharing Christ is the network and connections that God enacts. And you may think you're out there by yourself. You're not. God is at work. And... Um, Dan Spader used to say it takes uh, seven touches and contacts, but when they're out there, and if we keep working, we'll, we'll put together. So uh, keep keep it up, keep sharing. And I don't do everything right, and I probably didn't handle that conversation. It's not that I'm a hero, but just interesting. He said, "Oh, I don't do religion. That's her. She's Catholic." But you know what? He was a great guy. When we look at that term, ungodly godless, no threshold of the temple person, we think in our mind, oh, I get it, Charles Manson. That's, that's an ungodly person, Charles Manson. It's somebody like that. And we miss the fact that some of the kindest and the most engaging and people that we'd say, man, that was a great meal together. I loved that. People are godless. And if we teach our children that it's only, you know, watch out for Charles Manson. They'll be out there looking for Charles Manson. And all the while, godless people captured by the zeitgeist of our age who are kind and, 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 and seem very gracious and wonderful people will miss the fact that um, Satan's already smuggled into their heart the spirit of our age, and it animates how they do everything and influences our kids. The great irony of life is here we are living in a radically secular age in America right now in the midst of a God-saturated God world in which his presence is undeniable. These are Psalm 36.1 people described by the psalmist as those there is no fear of God before their eyes. That deference, that reflex that we have for recognition of him and his presence that animates our life. Well, this is us. This is Esau. This is the challenge. The spirit of our age teaches us to be Esau. You say, Eric, how did we get to Esau? Well, if you just adopt the spirit of our age, you'll get to Esau. And it's not a good place. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, 
you could just write in the margin there, 1 John 2, 16, Esau. But let's not sequester all this to just Esau's problem. We are groomed to have Esau's heart. Jay picked out a picture of a guy, just looks like a sharp young professional. Um, all sharp young professionals that grow up in our age, swimming in this stream, they just turn into Esau's. We're groomed to be. So, three elements make up the world system, the cosmos, and how it relates that we have to push back against with a renewed mind the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So, Eric, I don't understand what animates Donald Trump. I don't understand what animates Barack Obama. What animates Tiger Woods? What, an, what animates Pete Rose? What animates how Congress relates or doesn't relate together? It's this world system that surrounds us. What makes the world go around? What's in the water that we swim in? Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. I thought of the beatitude in Matthew 5, 8, the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I mean, a real fundamental question this morning is, will we see God or not? Without holiness, no one will see God. In other words, if the zeitgeist of our age has just so our heart is so imbibed with it, can it be said that we've been given a new heart by our Lord and that we've disciplined that heart with another one of our arts, a renewed mind, not to be conformed to the spirit of our age, but to be transformed through the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In this series, we'll crawl through this. This series will crawl into the stuff of our life and ask us, are we Esau's? Now look at verse 13 as we finish. Verse 12. Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. What kind of shape are the people of God in? You know, it doesn't sound real good in this moment. Droopy hands weak knees, they're lame, they're in turmoil. Verse 15, it identifies the results. They're not tapping into the grace of God in Christ, which is available. Now, what's really fascinating is droopy-handed people, weak-kneed people, lame people get on the way of holiness and walk in the way, and it's enlivening to them. Uh, weak knees become strong. Lame legs are healed. Droopy hands take on a new perspective. Turmoil is resolved. What will this series do to us? Well, it'll lift up droopy hands, strengthen our weak knees, make straight paths, and it'll help the weak forward. Think of Isaiah who describes the opening up of this great highway of holiness. In Isaiah 43, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low and 
The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God has called us to the super highway of holiness. A new way to live. Not an Esau way so characterized by the zeitgeist of our age. I've flown through Frankfurt Airport many times in Germany, but never was outside of the airport. But my buddy was stationed with a special forces group at Patch Base in Stuttgart. And so flying back from Bucharest, I thought, you know what, I'm going to stay with Dave a few days. So I flew to Frankfurt, went on a great adventure, walked up to the platform from the airport and got on the ICE high-speed rail, went up to Stuttgart. Guard got off, and there he was on the platform. And he said, Eric, you ever been to Germany before? And I said, I've never been outside the airport. He said, uh, have you ever eaten any German food? I said, no. He said, Mounts, the food is so good here. Gas station food is better than restaurant food in America, is what he said. He said, we'll get some food. And then we, we took off, and of course, they're trained in all these ways of elite evasive driving and risk-taking and that. And he said, Mouse, you ever been on the Autobahn? I go, no, Dave, I've never. Oh, he said, i got to show you the Autobahn. Well, he showed me the Autobahn. We hopped on there. He kicked that Volvo that he had. And I wasn't sure at what point on the runway the plane was going to take off. I couldn't believe how fast he was driving on the But it's the Autobahn. That's what you do. Yeah, I said, just get out here and kick it and let it go, Eric. This series will be God's invitation to abandon the spirit of our age and get out on the Audubon of the holy highway of Christ and kick it with all of our minds. And when we do, the health of this place will be raised and as never before, we'll honor him who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's look forward to it together. Father, thank you for your word which speaks. I pray, Lord, for any bitter heart here this morning that you've called out, that you would rush in with healing grace. I pray, Lord, for those trending toward or practicing now immorality that the Spirit of God would arrest and bring in and make clean and wash up and give a new day. Thank you, Lord, that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Oh, Father, I pray that you wouldn't allow us to ruin our lives, but that we would invest them in a pursuit of Christ. And we would see you with this holy character that you impute to our charge. Oh, Lord, make us to be like your son to a person we all understand that we need your grace to that end. So help us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.